Hello and welcome to the Curator's Salon podcast. I'm Geeta Joshi and today I'm excited to be talking to Alicia Puig. Welcome Alicia. Hi Geeta, thank you so much for having me. I've been such a fan for a long time so I'm really glad to chat with you today. Oh I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners will be familiar with PXP and but I'm pretty sure they're familiar with Create Magazine. Um, you are one of the directors on that, is that correct? Yes, so I'm the director of business operations, which means I help run social media. I do brand partnerships for us, um, partner with art fairs and more. And I also am a contributor, so I write articles and record podcasts like this. <laughs> and also, if you are listening, Alicia is one of the contributing writers to my own magazine, Art Scene. So yeah. just mention that there as well. Um, Alicia, how did you, what's your journey into art? Have you always um, worked in art and in the industry? So yeah, working, I definitely have always been in the industry. It goes back much further than that. As you can imagine, I was an artsy kid and I went to art camp and got all the art badges as a Girl Scout. And I always loved to you know, paint and draw. And so eventually I was lucky in that my mother was supportive of my creative abilities and she encouraged me to pursue it. So even in college, I started out in graphic design, but after a year, I realized that wasn't a fit, and so I went just the full fine art route, earned my BFA in painting and printmaking, and then um, after that, I thought I was going to go towards an MFA, but I did a series of studio visits in New York, and I just, feel, I just felt like I wasn't a fit. My work was nothing like any of the other artists I was seeing, and that kind of dis disheartened me for, uh, you know, towards going that path. And at the same time, I was also taking a lot of art history courses, and that really just drew me in. So I started veering towards the path of the art historian and the, the curator gallerist kind of model instead. And that, that's kind of been my path ever since. So I started working in galleries for years and years, art fairs, auction house. And then eventually in 2019, I launched my own gallery, an online gallery called PXP Contemporary. And that's been what I've been focusing on for the past two years, in addition to writing, of course. So congratulations on that, because uh, PXP's been going, what, a bit, to, a bit over two and a half years now, right? I remember you yeah. celebrating the uh, two years back in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a really great journey and, I mean, a crazy ride, because as you can imagine, having the pandemic happen during our second year in business was like, oh no, what's going to happen? But it actually went even better than I could have imagined. So we're incredibly grateful, and I'm oh, just so happy <laughs> everything's worked out, luckily. And PXP is an online gallery, but you represent artists from around the world. Is that correct? I do. Yeah, that's the exciting part. I think, you know, a lot of galleries that are, they have physical locations, they're kind of tied to that location and they work with, you know, a good bit of local artists, but which is great, of course. But the, the cool thing about PXP is that I can just really serve so many artists because we're online and and that's been such an amazing thing. I have such a wide variety of artists and they're really based everywhere all the way from, you know, the, the States to New Zealand. So um, it's been really fun and I've enjoyed it so much. I think that's one of the things the pandemic did was really force people online and, you know, that whole online shopping, despite like logistics being a problem and things not being able to actually get shipped easily. Yeah, absolutely true. And again, that 
worked to our advantage because I had already had the full year before it happened to kind of work out the kinks and work out the bugs of shipping and, and people going through a purchase through the site and just making it a lot more user-friendly than it was when we first launched. So um, since we had all that, then by the time that everyone was forced to only shop online and buy art online, it, it was, you know, we were kind of ahead of the game a bit. Um, so that was great <laughs> for us. When you started PXP, which you did with Kat, did you, did you know which artist you wanted to represent or did you have more of an aesthetic in mind? Or how did that sort of, how was that sort of in, in its infancy? Good question. So we actually had a very just quiet call for art and we got, I mean, I was so impressed by the quality of people that applied. I ended up choosing like 10 artists to start with as the official represented. And then our first show had maybe like 20-ish artists. And, and again, that was all just pulled from this um, community of people that we had reached through Create Magazine. So that was very nice that we were able to draw from that. That was kind of also the basis of even starting the gallery because when Create was originally um, founded, the mission was kind of the exposure and the publicity and, and getting emerging artists in print, which there weren't necessarily a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, and then after a few years, we kind of dove into the community a bit more and started asking, what else do you want? What else do you need? How else can we serve you? And one of the things that people were mentioning was like, well, we want a place to sell. You know, we love the exposure and we love, you know, seeing our names in a physical copy of a magazine, but you know, we also need to make money. And so um, that was kind of the impetus for then launching a platform where emerging artists would be very welcome and emerging artists from all around the world, like you mentioned. Um, and so that's, that was, that is still the mission of PXP is just kind of being this launching board for emerging artists to get their first steps of, of working with a gallery to then move to the next level, which is what a, a number of my artists have done. And I've, that's been kind of the best part. I mean, yes, I love working with my artists, but eventually I, I really hope that they, they get big enough to, to move to that next level. So exciting. So now you've grown, you're obviously representing way more artists than you were than at the beginning because the whole platform is growing. You've got a particular process for receiving applications, which is really interesting to me because I think not enough galleries actually have a submission process, you know, and this is where we find, I mean, I do coaching and mentoring as do you in various capacities. And we see these artists sort of sending emails like what's an email template that we can send a gallery. But I often feel like they're applying for a, a you know, like they're applying for a job that doesn't actually exist. Um, so actually having that submission form and that actual process in place is really cool. How, how has that been working out for you? So first of all, I just love that you mentioned the submission process as a job application, because in many ways there's, there's just a lot of parallels and I completely agree. And I think this also just having this goes back to this idea of it being very artist forward and focused on appealing to emerging artists because it can be so intimidating not having a like, technical process to go through and just kind of having to wing it and figure it out that some people won't even apply and they would be a perfect fit. It's just they, they get in their head and then they don't follow through with it. And actually, I did that myself. 
when I was an artist in, um, in college, my last year of school, I saw that there was a gallery nearby in Philadelphia that was catered towards emerging artists. But I talked myself out of it. Um, all you had to do was, you know, standard like you would usually do, send, you know, your interest and a portfolio link and your website. But I, I just couldn't do it. I thought, oh, they'll never pick me. I'm really not a right fit. But I saw other artists my age and like my ability level and I <laughs> something like told me to keep looking, keep looking. And I waited for an entire year and I didn't apply. And then when I did, I was represented within two weeks. Now, unfortunately, that gallery ended up closing, but still it was just the silliest thing that I talked myself out of it for so long. But again, this is what is happening because it just seems like such an overwhelming process. So we wanted to just make a call for art so that there was a place where people could always go to and see the, the platform of where to submit. There's no questions. There's no, you know, it's, it's very transparent. It's not meant to be difficult. Um, and I have it linked everywhere. I mean, it's on the homepage, on the about page, on the FAQ page, on our link in bio. I mean, on our highlights, really, I try to make it so simple for everyone. And it's the basic things, you know, send me your bio, send me your statement, your resume, your website, and 10 images, just so I get an idea of your work. So it's really meant to be kind of straightforward. And, um, but even that kind of ties people up because they worry about, wait, what, what do I write in my statement versus my bio? Or what if I don't have anything on my resume? And it's really just meant as practice. Like I, <laughs> I'm 99 point nine percent looking at the work the other stuff is just kind of the cherry on top is just kind of to make sure that you are doing it and that it's there's nothing out of left field you know <laughs> i think as long as your bio is, is pretty standard and your statement says something about your work that i wouldn't get from from just looking at it that kind of checks the box the boxes for me <laughs> you don't have to reinvent the wheel but Again, at least I think it's having this more standardized process makes it a little bit easier than just the find gallery, email a random person and hope that they get back to you. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree. I think actually, well, let's talk a bit more about the bio and statement because obviously I read a lot of them for you know various things that people apply to me for, whether it's virtual exhibitions, magazines, uh, and the same for you. So I think there's a lot of people are getting really caught up, as you say, in that sort of perfectionism of like, oh, but I haven't been to art school. What can I, I don't know, they think the bio doesn't, the bio isn't valid because they haven't been to art school. And there's so many excuses that they give themselves, you know, and I think there's just such a fear of judgment on that as well. What have you seen? What are, what's a good, no, let's try it the other way. What's a bad application look like? Oh, no. Um, I hate using the word bad, but I understand. It. I guess maybe like things that can be improved. Generally speaking, um, I'll start with a bio just because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Um, I think it's funny because the bio is actually a misnomer. We don't when we talk about artist bio, we're not actually talking about your life story. Yes, you can weave in maybe one or two tidbits if they're very relevant to the work that you're creating. However, by bio, what we actually mean is your education, if you've gone to art school, or let's say you're an artist that creates, you know, science-based works, and you got a degree in biology or something, that makes sense as well. Um, if not, just say you're self-taught, or skip it. 
there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we also talk about, you know, your press mentions. So your most recent or your most prominent, same thing with exhibitions, and then also gallery representation if you have it. And then finally, if you won any awards or if you're in any important collections, um, this does not mean you're private collectors. <laughs> For some reason, every single artist likes to put um, collected worldwide or collected internationally or just like some form of that sentence that it's such a pet peeve for me just because everyone uses it so at this point it's become trade it doesn't actually mean anything so tell me something more specific just please cut that out of your bios guys <laughs> um and then in terms of a statement people kind of either go one of two ways either they write too much and it's just not concise enough and you can really kind of cut down a bit of fluff and focus really um, a bit more on what you want to say or there's not enough. It's vague and um, we just want to know a little bit. We want you to dig a little bit deeper and, you know, tell us more about what you make and why you make it and how you make it. Um, and then in terms of a resume, I think it's, it's actually kind of the same as a statement. Either it's too much and you're writing every little thing that you've ever done and, you know, this show in a coffee shop 10 years ago, like you can cut that out if you've since been in galleries and museums and other things. Um, if you do have a lot of shows, maybe cut it to the last like five years or two years or most important if there are, have been ones that have been important five years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. Um, or on the other side, if it's short, that's fine. Just don't put 20 spaces in between each entry trying to think that that will make up for it. I'm putting this in air quotes. Um, if it's short, that's fine. Just just own it. <laughs> if it's five you know, lines long, just own that. That's okay. People, I think sometimes the biggest thing that artists forget is that a human is is reviewing your submission. And so me, I'm a human. <laughs> when I look at your submission and I see that there's only a few lines on your resume, I just think, okay, you're starting off. That's fine. It's especially with working um, something like PXP or Create, we expect that it's emerging artists. We don't expect that you have 10 years of experience. So, I mean, if you're applying to a huge gallery, yeah, they might expect it and they will probably expect that you have a bit more under your belt by then. But um, for specifically for opportunities that are specifically geared towards emerging artists, that's okay. So there's your permission slip to only have a few lines on your resume. But that said, that should also be a motivating factor for you to just continue to pitch and work on press and getting exhibitions and anything else you can add. Yeah, I think there's no shame in, you know, having everybody has to start somewhere, right? Yes. And I think the other thing that I um, don't mind in bios is if they are, confirmed in shows coming up yes um, that that is also a good thing to mention there as well absolutely true thank you for mentioning that that's i didn't actually don't think i mentioned that when i write about it but that's a good one i'll have to add that to <laughs> anything i write going forward uh, one of the things i've seen on I, I don't know where they write it i think it's usually on the statement rather than the bio is if they haven't got enough to say they and i do actually on my submissions have a minimum word count so I mean, Ooh, that's just how I have it. Um, yeah, but sometimes they can't write enough. So what they do is then they'll say, but I haven't got enough to say to fill the word count. And then they'll just like fill it out with a keyboard, like, you know, random letters and words and things like that. So I've had that. 
And another sort of thing I've had is where they say the same thing. Um, I just need to fill the, the space for the word count and then they'll basically just repeat that, whatever that sentence or two that they did put again. So, the, I mean, there's some creative workarounds, you know. They don't want to do the inner work of like really figuring out like what their work is what about. What they want to say. Wow, wow. Oh, well, that made me think of another one in terms of images. Seeing two different bodies of work is also one of my pet peeves. Just be, well, no, not, I'm not going to caveat this at all. It is one of my pet peeves. You, you just don't get a full picture of what your work is when you only get to see three to five images of each series. Now, this is not to say that you're not allowed to have different styles. No, you are absolutely allowed to paint birds or kittens, or flowers, or humans, whatever you want, abstraction, anything. All-in-one artist, that's fine. The issue is that if you're applying to one opportunity, there should be something that you really think is the very best fit. So always apply with that one thing. And everyone's going to tell me, wait, but I really can't decide between two. There's always one. <laughs> there really is always one. <laughs> well, always. and I think that is what um, what I've heard is because I've I've said this many times as well. It just use one collection for one application, and uh, what did they say? But I wanted to give you a variety to choose from. You know, there's this idea that by submitting, you know, like we say, you know, the abstract and the figurative and the you know the pastel and the watercolor, whatever it is that that there might be something that appeals to somebody that's looking at it. Unfortunately, it works the other way. For me, it looks like you haven't figured out like, you know, which are the strong ones and you haven't thought about like where it's going and why, which body of work would be a right fit for that, um, you know, opportunity. Yeah. So it either looks like you, you haven't quite figured out your creative voice or like you're really not ready for a full exhibition or a full press feature or a full, collection release like you need to get in the mind of the curator and they have to think how is this going to fit within the context of whatever the opportunity is again if we're doing a, a press spread we're going to need multiple images and they have to work together if you're doing an exhibition you're going to need a lot of works especially if it's a solo show and even if it's a, a smaller collection release of the gallery you're going to need multiple <laughs> images from the same series so it's just, it just doesn't work when you do multiple styles uh, in the same application. So please consider that. So hopefully that will resonate with some people so, and give them you know, more guidance towards actually what is needed on a, on a strong application. And I think that is what you said there, just that cohesive visual language across mm -hmm. um, you know, one, usually picking out from one collection of work even though the themes that they have running through all of their work uh, might be the same, but it's just like, yeah, one collection at a time. So obviously you and I have reasonably similar sorts of opportunities through the virtual gallery, through the magazine, then you've got PXP for um, representation. But do you want to talk a bit more about sorts of opportunities that artists could be applying for and assessing them before, rather than blindly kind of going for everything? Yes, I think this is actually a really important topic. A lot of artists will find just any gallery and apply blindly, and it's important to 
do your research beforehand and really make sure that it's the perfect fit for your work before not just applying, but you know, sometimes the, they ask for a, a fee. So it's important not to waste your money. And especially if you have a budget for applications, then that way you're, you know, you're not throwing that away and you're kind of making sure that you get the best investment out of, out of that time and effort and money. Um, so in addition to applying to galleries and other kind of platforms that would allow you to exhibit, of course, I'm always going to plug reaching out to um, writers directly because you, you know, press is just such a great way to reach new audiences and build up your resume and, uh, and to share your story. It's, it's great to have someone else look at your work and kind of help you suss out some of the, the ideas that you're working through in a different way. So, I mean, I, as a writer, I enjoy that part of it. I enjoy working with artists in that way. So I, I hope that they do too. <laughs> um, and I, uh, again, I think it's just a, uh, a really nice way to continue to promote yourself and artists don't do enough of it. So um, beyond that, I mean, there are awards and residencies, like we mentioned, grants, and just speaking of money and ways to support yourself. Um, so those are kind of the main things that come off of, come out of the top of my head. And then a thing that I've been talking to artists about recently is also how do you think about which opportunities you should really focus on and it really depends where you're on your career at the beginning you probably want to focus on just getting your work out there so exhibiting and press but then when you're mid-career you're probably going to be focusing more on residencies and grants and awards to take your work to the next level and your career to the next level so that you're starting to attract the attention of bigger curators and galleries and that will eventually lead you to you know art fairs and potential acquisitions so there's a trajectory that's a bit more traditional um, and that's kind of the way that you would do it um, but the other thing that I was talking to someone recently was you know for example she wanted to start exhibiting internationally and she asked is it worth it because it's quite expensive to ship works overseas and that's absolutely true so I asked her, have you broken it down financially? If you sell, if, they, if a gallery overseas is asking for five works and you price them at X and you get X number after, the, after they sell because of commissions, does that amount of money cover or more than cover the investment that you put into shipping it there? Or can you negotiate with that gallery to have them cover maybe the shipping costs there or half of the shipping costs there? That's another thing that I always remind artists, you have power to negotiate without artists. There are no galleries. <laughs> we need you. So you do have bargaining power there. Try to use it. I know it is difficult because in some of those instances, you feel like, well, they're giving me this big opportunity. I, I don't have the power. How can I ask them this? But you can. I mean, they can still say no, and then you have to decide from there. But there's no harm in asking. I and mean, you're not being difficult if you just present it very professionally. Like, what are you here to offer me as well, since I am offering you something, which is my work, my audience, my ability to promote myself. So, um, yeah, I think one of the things you can absolutely do is really break it down financially, be practical about it. And then secondly, though, trust your gut. <laughs> you know, what do you feel when you think about this opportunity? Do you see yourself showing in Europe and does that really light you up? Does that make you 
feel like this is going to take me to the next level? Do you think your audience is going to really get behind you and get excited about it? Those things are things to take note of because that is going to, that's really going to guide you. I can just think of all the times when I've gone through an opportunity, like the process of deciding whether I wanted to do it and I had reservations and it didn't end up working out. And I just thought that, why didn't I listen to my gut? Why didn't I listen to their really heed those red flags that were warning me that maybe this wasn't going to work out the way I thought it would. And at the same time, the ones that you miss out on, you regret because you did have that kind of the butterflies, the excitement, but you thought, oh, no, for whatever reason, maybe exactly like the, the gallery that I mentioned earlier in the episode <laughs> where I, I knew that in my head, I really knew that it was the right fit but I just talked myself out of it because I was scared. I let that fear and that imposter syndrome take over. And then eventually after the year and after I finally just did it, it did work out. So, you know, really try and, and trust your intuition because it's, it's looking out for you. I think this is so interesting. And I think this is something, you know, especially for emerging artists, they're venturing into the world of being self-employed really in, a, in an industry that is, not especially regulated. And I think, I mean, it's probably true for all business owners. Um, and obviously, you know, I mostly only see it with artists, but you have to create your own terms of business, like your terms and conditions of how to work with you. And it, it happens and it evolves over time. So things like what you were saying there about the shipping costs, that is one of the, you know, that is something you should put in, like how you want people to work with you. It doesn't have to be a public document, but it's some sort of record that you're creating for yourself as these sorts of issues arise. And, um, you know, one of the other ways that it happens as well, like you said, you know, the gallery can pay or you can pay, but oftentimes they split it as well. And another way that it happens is um, one party will pay for it to go to the gallery and then what is returned, if anything is returned, or it might be, you know, if the gallery was only taking it to a fair, for example, um, you know, that other that return transit, let's say, is paid by the other party. So there's all sorts of variables and it's just spending a bit of time thinking like, okay, well, what works for me and what, is, what feels fair there as well. And then trusting your gut again. I think people have to sometimes go through the pain before they start believing that they have this inner wisdom. So that is really always interesting to me as well. Alicia, thank you so much. I've got two questions before you go. One is... What's your favorite app at the moment? My favorite app? Um, ooh, this is a good question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, obviously the most used is Instagram just because of business and different things, uh, you know, but um, I love to read. So I use Kindle quite a bit um, just so that I don't have to bring a book everywhere. I used to like actually bring a book in my purse, but obviously <laughs> I carry a lot of things. So it's easier to just read on my phone if you're waiting somewhere. It kind of also encourages me not to use social media as my like waiting in line boredom thing. Uh, yeah. I can just like quickly open up the app and like read a page or two. Um, what else? Uh, when I, <laughs> go ahead, go on. So I was just going to say something silly. When I, I travel, I play a lot of Boggle. <laughs> so I play Boggle online such a nerd but, so yeah. I don't know that one I've been playing so um one called ball sort puzzle hmm. where you put these colored balls in tubes or something so what? Been, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's my 
guilty pleasure except it's out now so <laughs> see but mine is incredibly boring because it's just a word game it's like a, a kind of like a crossword you just have to find for yeah um, <laughs> see, write, we writer have enough. these sorts of things like you know that's always a good one when yeah waiting in line and yeah. what are you watching at the moment you have netflix what what's good what's your recommendation yes <laughs> interesting so i just finished money heist but that's gonna come the new season's coming out so i'm very excited oh, i'm also very excited because it was good timing i'm i'm actually going to spain um next month so i'm getting even more excited uh because of watching that um and so netflix recommended another spanish show so i was watching money heist so i'm watching a show called valeria and it's a it's funny because it's about a writer but i just don't relate to her at all <laughs> uh, She's too much, <laughs> so much drama, but it's, a, it's an interesting show. I've been watching it and, and that's my guilty pleasure <laughs> when I need a little break. No, I definitely enjoyed Money Heist. I don't know Valeria, so I might have to check it out. Alicia, thank you so much. I'm sure you will be back on the podcast soon. I'm sure we're going to find plenty more to talk about. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was really a great time. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And I will be adding the link to submit to PXP Contemporary if you are an artist listening and you would like to apply. So you'll find that in the show notes and also my own essential guide to writing your artist statement. You can find the link to that in the uh, show notes as well. The Curator Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.